Good morning, everybody. My name is Katie. I'm a student pastor here at Urban Village Church Worker Park, and I have the pleasure of bringing the message this morning. It's good to be with all of you guys. As we begin, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come and move among us. Holy Spirit, come and dwell within us. Open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts, open our spirits, open all of who we are to what it is that you have to say to us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the fall of 2008, I was on a plane from New York City back to Dallas, Texas, where I was living at the time. And I had just completed a week of auditioning for professional dance companies and Broadway shows. I needed to be finding a job really soon because in a couple of months I would be graduating with a degree in dance performance and needed to actually be doing something with it. And I should have been ecstatic because this dream, this career that I had been pursuing pretty single-mindedly for nearly a decade was so close. It felt so within my reach, this journey that I had been on. Um, but I wasn't ecstatic. Instead, I was looking out the window thinking, crap, I don't want to do this anymore. You see, as a, year, a year before, as a junior in college, I'd been watching the seniors in our program. And as a training professional dancer, you hear all of these sobering statistics about how few dancers find jobs in their field, no matter how talented they are. But watching these seniors, if anyone was going to make it, it was them. They were too talented not to. But I had just come from crashing on their couches for a week and knew that they weren't making it. Most of them were working two to three jobs to pay their rent. They could never audition because they were always at work, and they were bitter, so bitter. And rightfully so, I think. They had these passions that were dying, this amazing talent that was going to waste, dreams that seemed to be going down the drain. And I vividly remember as I looked out the window on that flight home, the thought hitting me, I hate, I love this way too much to wake up five years from now hating something that used to make me happy. It's not what I want for my life. So I knew that I needed to start over. I knew that I needed to find a new dream and a new career. I knew that I needed to find work. I had to find work that would be joy and life-giving to my soul. Something that would lead me not into bitterness and into, into resentment, but to a fuller and better life. Just shy of five years later, I woke up in an apartment here in Chicago to start a new journey as a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical in Evanston. Over the last five years, God had been revealing a new plan and a new dream to me, a dream of being a pastor, a dream that I would never have come up with on my own. It was a dream that I could be passionate about. It was a dream that would bring me, does bring me so much joy. It's a dream and a career that challenges the hell out of me, to be sure. But it's a dream and a career that allows me to be my whole self and my truest self at the core of who I believe God has created me to be. So I'm not bitter five years later, thanks be to God. I'm very thankful and grateful and at peace with the decisions that I made that have led me to here where I am today. Last week, we started a new sermon series called Flourish. And as we enter into a new year, and lots of us are making New Year's resolutions about how to live better and fuller lives in 2016, we're asking the questions as a community, how do I find joy in my work? How is what I do with my day-to-day -day life fitting into God's grander purpose for me and for this world? 
Last week as we began, Rich set up a lot of the historical and theological framework for us about what the church's relationship to our jobs has been like over time. Initially, he told us the church held a pretty tight reign over most industries, telling artists what they could paint and teachers what they could teach and scientists what they could and couldn't believe about the way that the universe works. The world and the individual working in it, the church believed, would flourish, but only as long as the church could control how it worked. That didn't go very well, so the church tried a different approach. Instead of having their hand in every industry, the church just became an industry of its own and made itself superior to everyone else. God cared much more, the church said, about those who were pursuing holy professions. So to be a priest or a monk or even the wealthy patron of a church was somehow seen as more pleasing to God. And the church dared not be tainted or tarnished by having any contact with lesser professions. So they separated themselves completely and built a wall. If you think about it, we still see some of the residual effects of that model today in the language that we use to talk about how people end up in the professions that they're in. So people who are pursuing ministry are constantly being asked when they felt God calling them to pursue ministry, when they felt God calling them into that career path. But we rarely frame the question the same way when we ask doctors, or social workers, or accountants, or teachers, the same question. Instead, we often just ask them, so how did you decide to be a blank? Rarely do we ask an aspiring young lawyer when she felt God calling her to pursue the practice of law, as if God chooses some people for the best jobs, and everybody else just chooses theirs. That might be how basketball teams get picked in middle school gym class, where the best kids get chosen first, and it doesn't really matter what team everybody else ends up on. But I'm convinced that that is not how God works. I'm convinced that all work, all professions matter to God simply because all people matter to God. As Rich said last week, I love this, God is way too creative to be limited to just a couple of professions. C.S. Lewis is my favorite writer of all time, and I will always sneak him into a sermon if I can get away with it. He writes this, I reject at once an idea which lingers in the mind of some modern people that some activities are in their own right spiritual and meritorious, as though scholars and bootblacks, as scholars and poets were intrinsically more pleasing to God than scavengers or bootblacks. Let us clear that idea forever from our minds. The work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman become spiritual on precisely the same condition, that of being offered to God. What makes our work sacred, what makes it possible for a person, for any person, to integrate their faith with their work is not what they do, but how they go about the work that they do in a way that honors God, in a way that allows them to live out the values and the beliefs of their faith. We all have different uniforms of one kind or another that we wear for work, right? It might be a suit and tie. It might be an apron. If you're really lucky, it's jeans and a t-shirt. It might include a hard hat or a briefcase or a microphone or a pair of scissors. But what we wear or what we bring to work, to some extent, large or small, says something about the work that we do. It tells people who see you and interact with you something about the work that you're about. 
In the verses just before our reading today, the writer of Colossians is talking about how we are to clothe ourselves as the people of God with kindness, with humility. Above all, though, he says in the first verse that Kyle read for us, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The message translation puts it this way. Regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. So whatever it is that we wear to work, we should always be sure to put on love because it tells people something about who we are and the way that we go about our lives. We're called to wear and embody the love of Christ wherever we go, including to work. It's the uniform, if you will, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, it often complicates the situation when we talk about our faith and our work and integrating those two things, is that there are just a bunch of different words that we can use to talk about work, right? As our job, occupation, calling, profession, career. But Parker Palmer suggests that we use another word, vocation. Palmer is a Quaker theologian and writer, and one of his most influential books in my own life is this tiny little book called Let Your Life Speak. It's one that you could read in an afternoon if you wanted to, and I would highly encourage it um, for anyone who's interested in reading more about, about this idea of how we integrate our faith with our work and about how we find our meaning in, in, in our life. Palmer writes, vocation does not come from willfulness. It comes from listening. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about, quite apart from what I would like it to be about. Or my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. That insight is hidden in the word vocation itself, which is rooted in the Latin for voice. Vocation does not mean a goal that I pursue. It means a calling that I hear in this line. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. Not, I must listen for the truths and values at the heart of my own identity, not the standards by which I must live, but the standards by which I cannot help but live if I am living my own life. And what I love about Palmer's writing and his using the word vocation to talk about our work is that it helps us to integrate our external reality, what it is that we do in the world, with our faith and with this internal reality, the deep core truth of who we are. One of the things that we're going to be attempting to ingrain in our minds and in our hearts during this sermon series is that we are so much more than what we do for a living. So often we allow our external reality to dictate to us who we are on the inside rather than the other way around. The letter to the Colossians that our reading for today comes from was written to early Christians who were dealing with a really similar kind of struggle. These new religious teachers had come into the community after the church had been founded and were teaching that all of these additional requirements, these external identifiers beyond baptism, were needed in order to be in good standing before God. And the writer of Colossians' letter is a message back to the Christians there to say, absolutely not. The thing that truly matters, the writer is getting at, the thing that defines us, is this mystery, he writes in chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The writer says, we have this very life of Christ inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
And that that mystery, that reality changes everything. Everything that we are, that everything that we do comes from that core truth that we, you, are God's beloved. And that truth changes everything about the way that we live and interact and work in the world. Jesus also had a bone to pick with the people of his day who were teaching an approach to work that didn't lead people into greater joy and flourishing. Some of Jesus's sternest critique in the entire Gospels are directed at the Pharisees, the very people who were supposed to be teaching God's people, helping them learn how to integrate their faith with their work and their life. See, the Pharisees were experts in the interpretation of the law, or the Torah, and their role in the Jewish community was to help interpret for faithful Jews how to follow the way of God in their daily lives outside of the temple, in their jobs, in their families, in their communities. But in the process of trying to be faithful to the Torah, the Pharisees had come up with so many rules that it was impossible to do much of anything without breaking one of them. In the Old Testament, God gives Moses ten rules for us to follow, the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, Jesus boils it down to two for us because he knows that we suck at remembering things sometimes. So he boils it down to two, love God and love neighbor. Very simple. The Pharisees, on the other hand, had combed through the written scriptures and the oral traditions of their faith and had come up with 613 laws that they had found that they believed faithful Jews were expected to follow. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23 is sometimes jokingly referred to as the woe chapter. Jesus basically spends the entire chapter telling the Pharisees how bad they've been at their job of helping people integrate their faith with their work. In one place he writes, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice. Mercy faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You've gotten so caught up in the minutiae, Jesus is telling them, that you've forgotten to teach people how to incorporate the things that matter the most. And we can be guilty if we're honest of the same thing sometimes too. One of the real struggles of integrating our faith with our work is the reality that in our day-to-day -day lives it is so easy to get, up, get caught up in the minutiae in the mundane and the responsibilities of our jobs that we forget to incorporate the things that matter most, the values by which we hope to, to structure and organize our lives. So what if we took Jesus' advice? What if we started thinking primarily about how to integrate our faith and our work as ways in which we can be people of justice and mercy and faith in our workplaces, no matter where those are? So how does the way that we speak to people on the phone or in the boardroom, how does that convey the mercy and the love of Christ? Does the way that we help people manage their money line up with the ethics and the values of our faith? How does what we teach in the classroom raise up a generation passionate about justice? How do the things that we create and design reflect the beauty of God's creation and care for the continued flourishing of our environment and our world. The author of Colossians, I think, gives us a hint when he writes in our passage, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
I think what he's saying there is let God's word, God's wisdom, God's presence within you be what informs and nourishes you and gives you strength for your work. Because when you plant a seed in rich soil, when you allow it to dwell and to grow there and to be nourished by the nutrients, a healthy plant can flourish. And isn't that, that flourishing, what we are longing for as God's people who are trying to live out our lives as faithful disciples? This body of people called Urban Village comes together each week to dwell in rich soil. Soil that's nourished by the presence of God and the word of God, by the fellowship of the community that we find here, in our cries for justice and in the sounds of singing out our praises to God. When we do that, when we dwell in this place and are nourished in that kind of environment, we too can flourish. We too can bloom as we live out our lives for the world to see. And I think that's part of what it means for us as we come together each week to claim to be a people who want to be relevant, to be people who live and bloom to embody the love of Christ in this world. It's important, though, that we be mindful that for some of us, the place where we flourish the most is not in our jobs. Perhaps your most fulfilling role, the place where you feel like you flourish the most and are the most able to live out God's calling and identity in your life, is as a partner or as a parent or in the service and justice work that you do outside of work that has absolutely nothing to do with your job. And that there are many of us in this community who are students, who are still beginning their journey and starting their careers, or simply trying to figure out what in the hell God is calling them to do in the first place. That we want to be a church that affirms that those roles, those spaces in our lives are also sacred and holy. That those spaces and places in our lives are also opportunities to live out and to integrate our faith as we walk in this world. The author of Colossians writes, And whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything in word or in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. To be our best selves, I believe, is to be our whole selves, which is what God desires for us. That means refusing to compartmentalize our lives into some spaces that are sacred and some places that are secular, to some parts of our lives that God cares about and some places that God doesn't. Because as we begin to more fully integrate our faith with our work and with the rest of our lives, we realize that God is showing up everywhere. God is in the midst of it all, creating and working with us as we try to figure out and live into God's calling for our lives. Writer and theologian Frederick Buechner has this well-known quote, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's the integration that we seek and long for in our faith and in our work. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Which leaves us with two very simple but really complicated questions. First, what is your deep gladness? Where do you find the most joy? What fuels your soul? What allows you to flourish? And secondly, what is the world's deep hunger? 
What does the world need most that you, with your unique gifts and skills and calling, can give through your work in this world? Where are the places that you can contribute to the flourishing of God's world? Because it's at the intersection of those two places, your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger, that true flourishing can really happen. True flourishing for you as an individual and true flourishing for this world in which we live. Now, those two questions are not by any means easy to answer. And one of the best ways to wrestle with them is to wrestle with them with other people. People who will ask you hard questions, people who are asking those same tough questions for themselves and for their own lives. As Kelly mentioned, we're signing up for small groups right now here at Urban Village Church. So if you're looking for a community of people who are going to ask you those kinds of questions, who are going to be on that journey with you, um, there's an insert in your flyer. And signing up for a small group is a really great place to start asking those questions. And these questions are, throughout this whole sermon series, these questions are meant to help us begin to think about work that is fulfilling, work that contributes to the flourishing of all of God's creation. But most of us have probably not found that job, right? Most of us, very few of us, I would think, have found the perfect job, if such a thing even exists. For a lot of us, if we're honest, sometimes, maybe all the time, work sucks. If that's you, make sure you're here next week, because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. What do you do when work sucks? Um, which is a very real question that we have to grapple with in our lives. But as we continue throughout this sermon series and as we continue to worship this morning, let's continue to dwell deeply in the soil of God's presence among us, in the presence of one another as we continue on this journey towards finding flourishing. We're going to follow the advice of the writer of Colossians and we're going to sing songs to God. We're going to share a meal together as a community. But here in a second, we're also going to take an offering and it's an opportunity for us this morning to express our gratitude for where we've been on the journey so far, for the blessings that we've received, and for God's presence on the journey with us. It's an opportunity to express our thanksgiving for what God is up to in our lives and what God is up to in our world. And it's an opportunity to invest in the mission and the ministry of what God is doing here in this place at Urban Village Church. For those of you who are first-time guests, your presence here with us this morning is a gift in and of itself, so please feel no compulsion to give. But if you do call Urban Village Church your home, your family, where you do life, um, I would invite you to give generously to the mission and the ministry of this church. Um, also, if you have your tear-off slips and your small group sign-up um, from, from that flyer, um, please drop those in the offering baskets as those come along as well. Those two are an offering of your, um, of your time and of your presence within our community. Um, so Kobe's going to come up in a second and play as we go into a time of offering. Um, so let's continue to worship together this morning. Amen.